I'm very glad to be here. And uh, thank you for your hospitality. And uh, Kevin and Elaine uh, have graciously opened their home up to me. And, and uh, I forgot my mask, so I'm probably spreading who knows what to who knows whom and all sorts of things. Uh, another thing I, I wanted to, uh, I, I didn't, I shared with Kevin last night was that I uh, had a student, a former student, ask me just uh, this last week uh, about a, a family member, the Riggs name, and, and if I was related to that person up in northern Minnesota where I used to, to work and teach. And, and so I did some family genealogy, and no, I'm not related to that person, but I found out that I don't know how many greats it is, but in the late 1700s, I saw the, the Quaker marriage certificate uh, for my great-grand-great-great-great-whatever grandfather Townsend from Perminquins, Perquimans, Perquimans uh, County, North Carolina, so uh, back, way back in the day. So I'm not going to call it a homecoming or anything like that, uh, but... Uh, it, it's really interesting that uh, to trace the the, fa- the family Quaker genealogy and how we came from England over over to here, and then uh, I guess in the 1800s we moved to Indiana with the great uh, part of the Great Friends migration from North Carolina up to Indiana. Let's read Scripture, Luke 15. 11 through 32, and this will be a very, uh, be a very familiar story to you. How many of you are, I'm a highly interactive person, how many of you are familiar with that picture? You've seen that picture somewhere before, okay? Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to feed to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But but while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father 
said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill him. Kill it. Let it have a feast. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Pray with me. Father, may the meditations of my heart and the words that your Holy Spirit have given bless those who have ears to hear. In your name, amen. I have a reproduction of this painting in my living room. This is a This is an it's an introduction sermon, but if you want to know me, this is it for me. This is the heart of the gospel. Uh, One of the the books I read, many books I read in seminary, uh, one of the commentators said something very profound. Uh, It's simple but profound. If we want to sum up the gospels. It's this story. If we want to sum up all of Scripture, it's this story. And so in the smallest story, we have the heart or the the burning coal of God's heart. This style that I'm going to present today, this style of message, is a meditation. And I've got so much teacher in me that uh, it will come out in messages. And so if you think that you're just going to be able to sit there and not participate today or just receive a word, think again. I'm going to ask you to participate. And one of the easiest things to do is to put yourself into this story. What character in this story are you? One of the things with my students that I used to do, I don't know if, uh, it depends on what movies, uh, uh, some of you, it depends on what generation you're from. 
Uh, for me, I always used the Braveheart, if you've seen Braveheart. Uh, for older generations, I've used Spartacus. Uh, and for younger ones, I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, in those movies, we often think of ourselves as the lead character hero, right? I am William Wallace, or I am Spartacus. And what I often told students, no, I'm the schmuck on the front line that usually gets gored in the beginning of the movie and then see my way out of it. But I want you somehow, some way, through that power of the Holy Spirit, to place yourself in this story. And so as I share this meditation, see where you are at and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Do you know what the definition of prodigal is? I doubt we do because we don't use it very often. Uh, have you ever heard the word prodigious? That is a prodigious amount of grain. It means extravagant, over the top, outrageous. We see it negatively because of this parable, right? The prodigal son. Extremely negative, extremely over the top. A man had two sons. And the younger son came to his father and said, I want my portion of the inheritance now rather than later, and I'm leaving. Does that happen today? It does not even happen today. That's outrageous. Who asks their mother to split the inheritance today and leaves the mother with only half of what she has? That's not a good son. It's not a good daughter. It's not a good child. I'm leaving. It's an incredibly bold request. And culturally, do you know what he's done culturally? I'm divorcing you. He is severing his relationship with the rest of the family after he gets the money. The pain the father must have felt. And yet, what does the father do? He gives him the money. He sells off half or whatever percentage, 40%, and gives it to this outrageous son. It's an outrageous gift. It's ridiculous. I've often wondered what was running through the mind and heart of this rebellious son. What would drive him to want to do something so, so hurtful? What had happened in the family that had caused so much pain that he was ready to go? But it doesn't take much time for me to realize it didn't have to be a deep hurt. Sadly, sometimes the source of such outrageous actions arises simply out of 
the idea of, I just want to do my thing. I want to do my thing. And so I take a step, and that step leads to another thing. And then I've divorced myself from everything that I've had in the past. Selfishness. We humans have a great ability to block out the effect of our choices on those around us. So the son goes off to live out his dreams, to live life, carpe diem, seize the day. And this great big world, this great big broken world, gobbles him up. The friendships the son believed he had and the full life he believed he had turned around and robbed him. Money and health. He was the emperor strutting around with no clothes. The fool. And in the depth of his lostness, we're told that he comes to his senses. I have down here we. I don't know if you are a part of we, but at least I am a part of we. We know that realization, don't we? When we find ourselves in a bind and it's just like somebody flicking on the lights. Oh my, what, what have I done? Where am I? What have I become? And we can clearly see the folly of our actions and the pain that is caused. The boy concocts a plan, and it's an outrageous plan. It's a prodigal plan. I will return to my father as a servant rather than a son. He knows the truth. He's divorced the family. But he knows, even though there would be no more family privileges, family rights, I don't care. He's a desperate man. He saw his father in a new light. How kind and honorable his father was. That's why he was willing to do such an outrageous thing. He had taken advantage of it earlier, and now he sees it for, oh, this is a place, this is a good thing, not a thing of weakness. He would be so grateful just to be a servant in his father's house. The boy wants forgiveness, and that is a lavish desire. Does he deserve forgiveness? That's one of those you can question you can respond to. In even our culture today, does he deserve forgiveness? Not in the way of the world. Now imagine the father. His heart, 
he hasn't been idle while his son's been away. What has he been doing? I want you to think of what he's been doing. Because the story tells us that I, I, think, of a, I think of a bend in a, in a road. As the son is coming back home around the bend in the road, what happens? The father sees him. What has the father been doing? Waiting and watching. Hoping. The father has not moved on with life. He's stuck. He's stuck because his boy's not home. The father is in that horrible situation of knowing that his son is not where he's supposed to be, body-wise, family-wise, and heart-wise. He's lost. Many of us know what it's like to have someone we love who's not where they're supposed to be. A lot of advice is given, a lot of comfort, but does it change the fact that that person is still lost? Body, family, heart. Now, imagine. Imagine what the father felt when he saw his ragged son coming around that bend in the road. He had every right to be angry, distant, and told you so. I think of in my life. How many times have I done the told you so's? Right? When they come in looking like death warmed over, told you. Mm-mm. He had every right. The culture of the day demanded that response. This boy needed to be taught a lesson. That's how life is learned, through hard lessons. The rebellious boy, boy deserved what he got, and there's no way you're going to be a servant of mine. But not this prodigal father. Extreme, over the top, crazy. Go to father. what he felt was an overwhelming, outlandish love and joy. He's home, he's safe, and he's mine again. The father runs to the son. He embraces him and kisses him. Here's something about the Jewish culture at the time. So he's got his um, tunic and cloak on. His man dress, okay? Well, any of, uh, for you ladies, uh, when you wear down to the ground dresses, how easy is it to run? You don't, unless you do what? You hike it up. Do you know what that was considered in Jewish culture? Display of nudity. Men weren't even to show their ankles. 
because they have scrawny legs or something. I don't know. The father hikes up his gear and he takes off for the boy. That's, that's uncalled for. That's ridiculous. It was shockingly scandalous for anyone to run. And besides running, he overly showed emotion because he's supposed to be a, prom, a proper, strong man, father, authority, and he's a blubbering mess, hugging and kissing his son. The hearers of this parable would have, been, would have assumed the son to be the blubberer, to be begging. And yet it's the father who blubbers. The son asks for forgiveness. Here's an important part. It's already been given without one word. The father doesn't say, you are forgiven, does he? He shows. And it was even before, I mean, the son's getting out, I have sinned against you in heaven. You know when the father forgave that son? When he saw that son come around the corner and he ran. The act of forgiveness. I love you. I'm coming, I'm coming, honey. Hold on. The reach, the reach, whether it's the reach of time, space, or the depth of the Father's forgiveness was tremendous. Get my son a ring and a coat. And if you've ever studied this or heard messages on it, the boy's back in the family. That's signs of you are in. You are back in. He may not get the, the land or the cattle or camels or whatever else they're dealing with. But he is back in the family. And let's party. I don't know how often uh, Quakers out here party, but it's good to party. To celebrate the kingdom. Celebrate the return Let's party. The father wants everyone to be as joyful as he is. And he wants to dress his boy up because he doesn't look so good. And he wants to fatten that kid up because he's skin and bones. And then a new character is introduced. On the left. The older son. The older brother. I can imagine him out in the fields. I, I doubt he was, I, I assume he's more of a managerial brother and son rather than a field hand. He probably got sweaty anyway. But he was coming home and, and I don't know if you've ever, uh, just curiosity. When you hear three houses down the way have the music and they're having a party what's going on 
curiosity strikes him. And so he asks. And when he heard the reason for the party, his heart burned, and he refused to participate. The father loved both of these sons deeply. And so the father, just as he came out to his boy coming around the bend of the road, comes out to his son who is burning with anger in the courtyard. And he says, son, come, party with us. He told his father, I do everything you tell me. I work like a slave for you. And you have given me nothing. But this prodigal son of yours gets a party? I think if we want to be generous, we could call the son, this son stubborn. But that's, that's uh, in Minnesota, we used to call it Minnesota nice. Which means, that is the polite way of saying not the truth. This boy was spiteful. There is no love in his heart. He expresses no joy in his brother being alive, but what he does express is selfishness. Just like that younger brother. He reveals that he harbors deep resentment toward his father. I slave for you. Is that the joyful heart of a a son? No, it isn't. It's bitterness. This is a bittersweet parable because that's where it ends. Right? You get this heartache at the beginning where the younger son is, uh, takes off and then the joy of the reunification or the reuniting only to be left at the end with another heartache. Which character were you? To be fair, I'm only going to ask myself to share on this one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I don't know if it's the politician thing, but it, it's my answer. I'm all three. There are three main characters, the three central characters, the two sons and the father. And I actually find this story, not just the characters, I find this story playing out in my life. And depending on which day or which season or what event, um, that's why I love this, that original painting, let's go back a couple, is because I can find myself in life. What Scripture does, and um, Scripture is a, a mirror. When we place ourselves in these stories, it, it acts as kind of a, a diagnostic, to use a technical term. 
we can find out where we are at heart-wise. Are we, are we this son who has either gone off the farm or returned? Are we the outrageous father? Or in, in Rembrandt's, a lot of people think this guy on the right is the older brother. But the older brother, see in the top left? The older brother's in the shadows. He's in the shadows. It's easy to see the younger son in me. Uh, one of my funeral songs, this might be too much information, but I already have some, a lot of my funeral stuff planned out. Not that I'm expecting anything anytime soon. Uh, Come Thou Fount is one of my, I just love that song. And one of the lines, thy grace like a fetter, thy grace like a fetter. Fetter is a chain and a clasp. Bind my wandering heart to thee. It's that whole thing of, there'll be events in life where it feels like the lights get turned on. Oh my, what have I done? I've come to my senses via the Holy Spirit. But I am one of God's children who have returned home. I have received the embrace of my Father, and He has showered blessings upon me. I get to wear the family coat and the family ring, and I've eaten too much of the family fatted calf. I'm grateful for what my Father has given me, and I know full well I don't deserve it. But I can receive it, right? I also see the older brother in me. You know what Paul calls the older brother? That old man, the first Adam. I don't know how many of you are. I love Paul. I love scripture, but Paul is one of my guys. That older brother, that old man creeps up on me. He's not grateful for his inheritance. In fact, he can be downright greedy for more. He's also jealous. See, the, the problem with the brother, older brother is instead of keeping his eyes on the Father, you know what he did? He turned and he compared himself to his brother. He should have never done that. I should never do that. You should never. We should never do that. Keep your eyes on the Father. Be grateful for what he has given me. And as my brothers and sisters received their blessings, let them keep their eyes on the Father, and let's all, as a family, celebrate what the Father has done. Because when we start looking at each other, that's trouble. That old man starts looking around at his siblings and coveting. And ultimately, this older brother is shown to be proud and selfish. Pride is the oldest sin. It's 
the first, first in uh, occurrence, and it's the first in degree. Finally, there's the Father. There's the Father. Prodigal giving. Remember what prodigal is. Crazy giving. Prodigal expectation. Prodigal hope. Hoping beyond hope. That's also a Pauline Paul phrase. Hope beyond hope. Prodigal joy, prodigal loving. I want to love like the Father. I want to strive to, to love in a, in a way that the world says, that's ridiculous. I want to expect the lost to be found. I want to be patient with waiting and holding steady, looking looking, looking, ready to blubber, and joyfully celebrating. The Father is not concerned with the opinions of others. Prim and proper are not in his wheelhouse. The world considers the love of God and the life modeled after Jesus to be foolish. But God says that these outlandish, crazy pursuits are wise. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the coal of the fire. So what's the lesson? And I'm not going on into anything long. That was... The meditation was the message. Where do you find yourself? What has the Holy Spirit given you? The lesson. First, like I said earlier, Scripture is a mirror. It reflects, it shows, when I come to it, it shows me in the story. And that's how the Holy Spirit says, listen, older man, older, older brother, older son, it's time to be the younger son or the father. So that the Holy Spirit can encourage us or correct us. And second, it always, always, always points for me to be like the father. Be like the Father. Amen. We're going to move into a time of open worship as the Spirit leads. Um, share if it is for uh, if it's for the edification of the body. And uh, I will leave it at that.
You guys rise for the benediction or no? Let's rise. Because you're going to be getting up anyway, right? Father, your grace truly is amazing. The reach, the distance, the time, and the depth. It is far more than we deserve. And yet, your prodigal, your outrageous, your crazy love has been given to us. May we receive it as grateful sons and daughters. 
May we join the party. And may we love like the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go and be God's people.